Today's reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Let's go in prayer. In this 13th verse, he talks about the mind. God created us a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. In the soul, there is the mind, the will, and emotions. Peter, a fisherman who has been through great adversity, it bears in what he writes here who has been through great adversity, talks about your mind. And he talks about the mind of the people, as it says here in verse 1, of God's elect who have been in exile throughout the entire Mediterranean region, even down into Africa, Egypt, down in that area. And he talks about Your mind. If you claim to know Jesus Christ, Peter wants your mind, Peter wants your mind to be functioning in two quality, quantity, two areas. And we're going to talk about the first one he's talking about is being alert. Okay? Now, I want to try and give you some very very good illustrations. If you are a mother and you have children, okay, and when you fix supper and you, you, Jeannie used to yell downstairs and say, girls, supper's about ready, come and set the table. And they would go, okay. And ten minutes later, when supper is really, really almost ready, she'd yell downstairs and say, Hey, kids, please come and set the table. And they go, Uh-huh. Well, sometimes it took three times. Girls, come and set the table now. And then they would hear what Jeannie had said. I don't, I don't know if you know... Did that happen in any of your guys' houses? Okay. Or if you're a father and you have sons and you say to your sons, hey, the grass is kind of high, I'm busy this week, would you cut it? Uh Uh-huh. And you go home and you come home and expect the grass to be cut or, or they cut the grass and they don't weed eat. And you say, hey, why didn't you cut the grass? Oh, I forgot. I forgot, Dad. I I had something to do. And I said, what was that? And they said, play video games. (laughs) And uh, I'd say, well, you need to cut the grass. And you come home again. Oh, the lawnmower didn't, didn't work. 
Did you check the gas? Huh? That's, that's a mind that is not alert. It's not alert. It's not tuned in to the authority placed over it in order that that person can do, that child can do. Now, every once in a while, God will grant to a family a child who is alert. Every now and then he will. But let me ask you a question. As a born-again Christian, are you alert to the voice of God? Or are you saying to God, uh-huh, or oh, or I have something more important to do? Like what? God says, you need to forgive so-and-so, Harry McDougal Fork, in Jesus' name. And you get, maybe. God says, God says, you need to tell people about Jesus Christ. You need to love your children so they can see Christ. And you're too busy. See, not only do children not have alert minds, but adults do too, especially about spiritual things. Now, if you're going to go through persecution, like Joseph did, when the angel of the Lord came to him and said, you need to get up right now in the middle of the night and get your mother and get that baby and go to Egypt because somebody's going to come and kill you. He didn't turn over, did he? He got up. He took his wife and his child and he went to Egypt and stayed there until God told him to come back. There are people who have alert minds towards God. Now, it's essential to understand why you must have an alert mind. That's, and not be distracted about your personal emotional issues that you're going through. Or the, the suffering that you may be going through. Wasn't it Joseph that went to Egypt, was sold to the Midianites? Wasn't he thrown in prison? And God God spoke to Joseph, and he told him how to interpret dreams. And when these people came to him and asked for an interpretation, he listened to God. His mind was alert. It was sensitive to what God was saying to him. And he told them what God wanted them to know about their dreams. Remember that? <coughs> so that when the king or the pharaoh <coughs> asked him to interpret the seven years of famine, he was able to do what God told him to. If your mind is not alert, you will not be in a healthy relationship with God and what goes on in your life will not bring glory to God or give you what you need in your life. 
Joseph did. He became the second highest ruler. I'm not saying you're going to become the second ruler in the world. But God's going to use you. The second thing he talks about here, and it's an interesting thing, and there's a reason. There's a reason you need to have an alert mind. And he says the second thing is to have a mind that is fully sober. Do you know people come into church and they think about everything else? Rose? whether or not the Steelers are even show up to play the Packers. They'll think about everything. Oh, it's hunting season. About going hunting. Or going shopping. What does it mean? Fully sober. Fully sober. What does that mean? That means that you are focused on the purpose of that God wants you to be focused on, and that is to know his will for you in Jesus' name. To know his will for you in Jesus' name. To be fully sober. Not that you're so preoccupied with God you don't do what you're supposed to do, but that you are preoccupied with God to the point you are able to respond when he says to you how to love your wife or your husband or your children or how to forgive or to teach you how to overcome an adversity. Now, these two ingredients, these two criteria being alert in your mind and fully sober in your mind, you're able to set your hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You're able to set your hope on the grace. Now, what's grace? There's some really piffy statements. To help you remember what grace is. But as I study scripture, no matter what aspect it is used in, grace is a hospital situation where you can go and be as, as weak, as, as ignorant, as untrained, as ill, as suffering, or rejected, or abandoned, no matter how bad or good your situation is, grace is the place you go in your state so that Jesus Christ creates an atmosphere where you can grow and mature and become like Jesus Christ. Did you know the church does not teach that today? It does not teach The fact that Jesus, no matter what state you are in, he will create an atmosphere in you if you pursue him that you will become what God wants you to become. He will do that. He will do that. 
You can set your hope on the grace. You could become like Christ. You could become the person God wants you to be. You know, for sure I know this. You can read the Bible all you want, but and you could be ver- well-versed in all this scripture, but can I tell you something? You have no idea what kind of person God wants you to be until you pursue him. And you begin to see his nature be revealed to you in your life. To be like Christ. That's grace. Walking in that experience of transformation. Grace creates an atmosphere where I can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing is that all of us will be different in some aspect, but we'll be like in Christ. We'll be different, but like. It's a really interesting concept. And he said, this to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed and he's coming. So that means there will be a time. Peter is talking about the fact that there will come a time when Jesus comes back and everything that God wants you to be will be revealed to you and you will be amazed at what you are. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about Peter. Peter was a fisherman, right? And, and, and he would fish all the time. That's how he made a living. He would bring home fish for his family to eat, and he'd bring home fish to sell to other people who didn't fish, and that's the way he did his living. He did it all of his life. He started it as a small child, and now he was an adult, had his own business, as they say in books. And so he's out all night. He was out all night fishing. And he came home and it said, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's no fish. Along comes this guy with a beard and long hair and a, and a robe on. He doesn't know from Adam. And he said, cast out your boat and throw over your net and you will catch fish. And he says, I've been out all night. I'm a fisherman. You have no idea what you're talking about. That's what he said. And Jesus said, throw out in the deep, cast out in the deep. And so Peter's in there pushing his boat into the sea, and he says, I'm going to show this upstart. I'm going to show he does not know what he's talking about. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to fish. And and there's not going to be anything there. And I can turn around and say, see, idiot, what do you know? Did you know Christians are like that? They say, well, I I can't forgive that person. Jesus says, forgive them. You say, I can't forgive that person. Jesus says, go fish. I can't fish. There's no fish. Jesus says, talk to people about what you know about Jesus. Oh, I can't talk to people. Just like he told Peter, go fish. Go fish. Love my children. Love your children. See, see, 
when, when we argue with God and think that we know more than Him, we don't live in hope. We live in the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Peter is trying to say to us, when I push my boat out, even begrudgingly did what Jesus wanted me to do. I pulled in more fish than my boat could hold, started sinking, and he yelled, Hey, come bring your boat! I'm going to lose all this fish! The abundancy. They brought the other boat. They began to pull fish onto it. And he came and fell at the feet of Jesus. Worshipped him. So when Jesus begins to say to you, when you say, God, I, I don't know how to love, you say, God, teach me to love. You see what I'm saying? If you say, I don't know how to feel, my emotions don't work. When Jesus says, you say, Jesus, teach my emotions to work. My friends, we're dealing with God. We're dealing with the entity that created the heavens and earth, put them in motion, and is in charge of them. And when he says, go and do this, no matter what it is, he will help you. You know, God has never sent anybody out to do any task by themselves. Did you hear that? He always went with them. In verse 14, as obedient children. We have obedient children sometimes. Right? Maybe a lot of times. Parents want obedience children all the time. Did you? They do. It would really be nice if they were obedient every time. My mom and dad would have really appreciated if they would. I remember our dad told us to cut the grass, and we finally got to it, and guess what we did? We tore the lawnmower apart. Could not get it back together. We didn't ask Dad what was wrong. We just tore it apart. I got ahead of myself. And he made us start it with a a rope all the time after that. It was so tough. And I can remember him saying, if you'd have done it right, you wouldn't have to do it this way. I remember. Obedient children. As obedient children, do not conform to the desires, your evil desire, to the evil desire. James talks about the first chapter. You know what he says about evil desires? Evil desires do what? Drag us away and entice us. Did you know that? He says not only do they drag us away and entice us, it says that they will lead us into sin. 
Oh, no, not only that, evil desires will drag us away and entice us and lead us into sin. But if we don't deal with them, they will cause death. Peter is warning us not to conform to those evil desires. Did you know that Peter, like James, believes that evil desires are a part of the human makeup because of the flesh? It's part, It's there. Yeah. This hand right here loves to go to the freezer and pull out ice cream and eat it. I'm not supposed to. But it does. I just can't keep it from doing it. There's evil desires inside of me. He says, but you don't have to be conformed to it. Paul talks about in Romans 8, he says, you must mortify the deeds of the flesh. So three, three of the great writers of the New Testament say that we do not have to conform to the evil desires that are within our flesh. So as an obedient child, we fight against our evil desires in Jesus Christ. When we are soberly minded and we are alert in our mind, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. That's what it is. Now, what does it say about these evil desires? It tells you the origin. You had when you lived in ignorance. Before you knew Jesus Christ, I, was, I, I lived 17 years old, even without knowing who Jesus was. I, I came to know him. Before that time, I was totally ignorant, and I was trying to manage my evil desires. I don't know about you guys. In those first 17 years, the way I thought about success and fame. The way that I thought about young ladies. I've had to fight it. But then when I came to know Jesus Christ, I no longer lived in ignorance. I lived in truth. So here was ignorance, and along, along comes truth, and they, they're laid right there together, and they battle against each other. And if I kept my mind alert and I responded to God, and if I were soberly minded and had the, 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 the power uh, and, and the desire to do exactly what God wanted me to do, okay? If my desire was to please God, then truth would overcome the evil desires. That's the way it happened. He said, as a result of that in verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy. Did you know that we're not talking about being perfect? You need to make a note in your Bible on the margin there. Holiness is not perfection. You need to make a God is perfect. And he didn't ask you to be perfect. He asked you to be holy. He did. He asked you to be holy. Well, what's holy? If it's not perfection, 
that, that being holy is like God. What does that mean? It means I am setting myself aside for God to pursue what God wants me to be. That's what it means. It doesn't mean anything else. Boy, it really sounds fancy to say holy, and it's intimidating. Are you holy? Oh, that's intimidating. I'm not sure I'm holy. You are if Jesus lives inside of you. Because holy and righteousness are synonymous in their nature. And if you want to be holy, then you want to do what God wants you to do. See, God can't do anything but be good. There is no evil in him. There is no lying in him. He's always truthful. He was always honest. He will never lie. He will never manipulate. He's not like the devil. He won't try and destroy you. He is holy God. He's just going to be God. And he wants you to desire to be like him. That's what that's talking. He says, so be holy in all that you do. That means whatever you venture to do, try and do it the way God wants you to do it. When I became a father and Brianna was born and I carried her down the hallway, they didn't wrap her in a blanket, they wrapped her in a piece of paper. I didn't understand that. And they still charged me the same amount of money. I don't. And I was carrying her, I was singing uh, Jesus loves me to her. She, prob- she was, probably didn't like it because it was off tune, but, but I sang it to her. And while I was singing it to her, I was saying, God, I don't know how to be a father to this girl. I struggled with it. Still battle with it. Because a child doesn't say the same age. They don't say the same emotionally. They're constantly changing. Even though my goal was to be what God wanted me to be, I still struggled with it. But that doesn't mean I wasn't holy. Did you know you can have a desire to do what God wants and still live in a sin? Did you know that? So in holiness recognizing my sin that Jesus shows me, I can confess it and be holy in that whole process. God can transform your life. Holiness is the desire to be what God wants you to be, not what you want to be, not what you think is right, but what God thinks is right. Let me tell you what. Whatever it is that God wants you to be, no matter how much of a perfectionist you are, You still cannot be what God wants you to be unless you let him help you. That's what he's talking about here. God says, I'm the example. I'm holy. So be like God. Because he is holy. Do you realize that as a Christian, a born-again Christian, you must be holy? You don't have a choice. 
I have five children, and all five of my children were deans, shavers, mixed. They didn't have a choice. They were that. Okay? Are you holy? Are you striving to be what God wants you to be? Or do you want to be what you want to be? That's the issue. Are you trying to be? I didn't say you've achieved it. Are you trying to be what God wants you to be? Or do you want to be what you want to be? That's the question. I hope Caleb has a really good song to sing. Because I'm done. Let's stand and we'll have prayer. Father God, here we are, your people. We, we that know Jesus as our Savior struggle to be what you want us to be. But Lord, give us a heart's desire to be what you want us to be. Through repentance, forgiveness and the power and authority of God help us father we need your help to be the husbands and wives to be the parents to be the children that God would want us to be just to be what God wants us to be not what I want to be or the world wants me to be, or what I think that my parents want me to be. Let me be what God wants me to be. And then you will give us help. And we will live in the holy relationship with God. That's what Peter wants. He understood that he could take a fisherman and he could preach a sermon 3,000 people give their heart to the Lord. Only Jesus knew that. Now Peter knows that. Help us to know that. In Jesus' name.